He must have left me a note, but they won't let me see it. I hate them and plan to poison their chihuahua. She probably did, too. One other thing I should mention now. I have always felt that the moment of my conception must have coincided exactly with the moment that the V-tailed red Beechcraft Bonanza hit the frozen Iowa soil, smashing life from the mortal bodies of Ricardo Valenzuela J.P. Richardson, and Charles Harden Hawley. Whenever I try to imagine what my father may have looked like, the only face I can see is that of a skinny Texan wearing glasses with black plastic frames. I have avoided discovering my father C.'s true identity, although it would be easy to do so. That's enough to begin. My name is Oliver Vale. I live in the one-story Kansas ranch-style house Mother willed to me. It is full of rock and roll memorabilia, Japanese appliances, and volumes one through seven of Mother's Diary, dated from May 13, 1957, her 16th birthday, to February 3, 1984, her last day of life. I pasted the white date sticker on the spine of volume seven myself. Then I called the ambulance to come and get her. At 1.03 a.m. on Friday, February 3rd, 1989, the picture displayed by my 25-inch Sony color television dissolved into bright speckles of static. I was immediately aware of the significance of the time, displayed in glowing blue numerals by the Mitsubishi VCR, and for a few moments I sat frozen in my recliner like a statue of Abraham Lincoln. Buddy Holly had died at about this moment in 1959, just as the most determined of my father C's umpteen zillion sperm had plunged into mother's eagerly waiting ovum. As a multicellular process, I was exactly thirty years old, and my Sony was delivering white sparks in celebration. Mother had been dead five years. I tried to ponder the significance of it all, and convinced myself that there was no significance. The Sony had been presenting static of this sort with increasing frequency over the past several weeks, and it was only coincidence that it was doing so again at this particular moment. Unfortunately, this particular moment was rottenly inconvenient, because I had remote-controlled the Sony to life, hoping to see John Wayne in The Searchers, the 1956 John Ford Western that gave Buddy Holly the phrase that led to his first hit single. I had seen the movie only once before, so I'd been ecstatic when Dish Digest told me that it was going to be broadcast via satellite from a co-op station in Albuquerque. I had spent a good part of the chilly evening redirecting my creaky Skyview satellite dish to the proper point in the heavens, and had even popped a $7 blank tape into the Mitsubishi. Now, though, the Sony had erupted into snow, and I was going to miss the opening credits. Leaving the VCR running, I grabbed my ten-inch crescent wrench from its place on the coffee table, ran through the dining area, kitchen, and utility room, and slammed out through the back door. The temperature outside had dropped about fifteen degrees since I'd finished tinkering with the Skyview, and the shock of the cold stopped me for an instant. In that instant, I saw that the night was clear and beautiful. 
Except for the dull orange glow of Topeka eight miles to the north, the sky was purplish-black and full of stars. The hills of northeastern Kansas were silhouettes that hid all but a few of my various neighbors' mercury-vapor yard lights, and the black outlines of the bare trees were still. It was a different sort of night than it had been when the winter dance party had played in the stupidly named Surf Ballroom at Clear Lake. I shivered, and that broke the spell. If I didn't hurry, I'd miss the Indian attack and the slaughter of most of John Wayne's relatives, so I sprinted across the dead lawn toward the eight-and-a-half-foot aluminum dish. It glowed a dull white in the wash of the yard light, but that didn't help me see the stepladder that I'd left lying on the ground beside it. I tripped over the ladder and fell forward, banging my head on the dish's lower rim.